The fruit of righteousness is that we glorify God. The fruit in our lives glorifies God because it's not possible to glorify Him without the fruit in our life. Today's message from Harvest Church of God is titled, Rooted in Jesus Means Accomplishing for God, Part 2. Pastor Jerry Irwin continues the message about being rooted and built up in Jesus. And then we can be fruitful for Him. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to come to another preaching event. Thank you for your word that lights our path, guides our path, lights our path, and gives us direction. Thank you for your word that is profitable for instruction in righteousness. And I ask you to touch us today, O Lord, that we would leave this meeting touched by your grace through the word of God and its encounter today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. When we left off preaching about Hezekiah last week, we remember that he was the king of Judah. And what does Judah mean? It means praise. That Judah was the place of Israel and the, its capital was in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah, the Bible said there was none, none greater than before him and none greater after him. He was the greatest king of all of Israel's uh, great kings. There were good ones and there were bad ones, and they were basically characterized by one sentence. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, or he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And Hezekiah fell on the side of the, that positive one, those that did right in the sight of the Lord. He uh, did some great things, revivalistic things. He tore down the Ashura poles, and he tore down the high places, and he broke the serpent into pieces and uh, restored the house of God. He repaired it, and then he restored worship in the house of God. And he ruled, the Bible said, for 29 years uh, in Jerusalem. And he is most characterized by a showdown between him and the Assyrian general whose name was Sennacherib, you remember? And there was a general whose name was Rabshakeh, that came and delivered a letter to him, and he took it to the house of God. Let's pick up the narrative in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, verse 20. And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. How many of you know that the cry out is the turning point? The cry out is the turning point. The cry out is when things begin to change. For when you cry out unto the Lord, then God answers and God delivers and God does marvelous things but nothing will happen until there is a cry out and uh, we all know that David was a, a man that depended upon God and was a man after God's own heart and he said I cried to the Lord and the Lord heard me I cried to the Lord and the Lord heard me and then he delivered me out of all of my distresses what a great verse that is for every one of us who need deliverance from time to time and need God to help us that we can cry unto him and he will hear us. When they cried to heaven, 21st verse said, and the Lord sent an angel, an angel, not a host of angels. Sennacherib had, had mocked God and Rabshakeh had mocked God by saying little of his angels, what they could do and could not do. And God, instead of sending a host of angels, he just sent one angel. Somebody say one angel one angel. The Bible says 
the angels, plural, of the Lord encamp around about people who love the Lord. Not just one of them, but plural, angels of the Lord encamp around about those that love the Lord. Isn't that great to know that one angel could defend a whole city? Well, you've got angels that are around you, and they encamp. That means they set up residence. They encamp around about. They surrounder you. They surrender, surround you, all around you, form a circle of protection all around you. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know if your mind can get around that. That every one of you in this place have an angel assigned by God to care for you. When Paul was sinking on the ship and all the people were disbelieving and all the people were frightened and thinking they were going to a watery grave, Paul said, the angel of the Lord stood by my bedside and told me that not a one of us would be lost. And he said, and brethren, I believe God. Now, if one angel can do so much damage, how in the world could angels that are encamped around about you? And that should be a real source of comfort and blessing to you that God cares so much about you that he would assign, assign angels lest you dash your foot against a stone. Praise the Lord. And the Lord sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and the captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame. He went back home embarrassed. I'm glad when the Lord throws his weight around, don't you? I'm glad when the Lord sends the enemy shamed and embarrassed. Amen. So he returned with shame of face to his own land, and when he was coming to the house of his God, they came forth out of his own bowels and slew him there with a sword. Out of his own bowels means his own son. His own son came and killed him with a sword. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all other. Somebody say all other and from the hand of all other, and guided them on every side. Boy, what a great work God did. In fact, he's taking care of them on every side. He's guiding them, he's directing them, and he's saving and, and blessing them. Now it's time for that prophecy of Isaiah chapter 37, verse 31. He said, and the remnant that escaped, the remnant, Samaria didn't escape. Samaria got carried away, 200,000 of them carried away. And all the good people, the whole people, the perfect people got, the, got taken away and were carted away like so much rubbish and garbage. But there's a remnant, a remnant, what was left over that didn't uh, give in and didn't succumb and stood their ground and God blessed them and God made them victorious and God delivered them. They're called the remnant. They're the one. I believe God's got a remnant, don't you? I believe God's got a remnant. You might call Hebrew children the remnant. When everybody else was bending and bowing to the command of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and the Bible said they cast everyone into the fire, but there was a fourth man in the fire, 
I see a fourth man, he said, and they're all loose, and they're all walking around in the fire. That's the remnant. That's what God does for remnant people. And I thank God that we're a part of the remnant, aren't you? The remnant. Herein is my Father glorified when these people put down roots. Look at Isaiah 37, 31. The remnant that has escaped to the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. That's a tremendous thing right there because fruit bearing is so necessary in the church of the Lord Jesus. Fruit bearing is so essential for us to fulfill the will of God for us as a church because fruit gives glory to God. When you live good and you do good and you, you praise good and you worship good and you tithe and you come to God's house and you do godly things, those are fruit that glorifies God. John 15 and 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit so shall ye be my disciples. Brother, when we bear fruit, we're saying to the world, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus. When we bear fruit, we bear witness and testimony of the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of his church and Lord of our lives. One of the most important factors in planting a tree is to see that it's proper planted and it's cared for and it has good opportunity to take root. You know, Church is a, a seed bed. Did you know that? It's a seed bed. The Bible says that the Word of God is the seed. Jesus identified it when he said the parable of the sower who went forth bearing precious seed. And the Bible said he scattered that seed. And you know the parable, it, some of it fell on a hard ground and did not take root. Some of it had took root, but it didn't have a good root system, and it withered away. Some of it was choked by uh, briars and those kind of thistles, the Bible said, and didn't have a chance. And one of the five, the Bible said, fell on good ground, and it produced a hundred foot. And the disciples said, Lord, what are you talking about? He said, well, the field is the world. The field is the world, and the grain, the seed, is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And the preacher, of course, is Jesus. Hallelujah. That's saying to the world, I have come from my Father. I've got a message of deliverance, of salvation, and I've come from the Father seeking to save that which is lost. My mission is to do salvation. My mission is to pay the price. My mission is to become the propitiation or the settlement of this whole issue of sin in the human condition. He's saying to every one of us, I am God's response to your cry out. I am God's response to your cry. I'm God's answer to the prayer that you pray for deliverance. It's the most important thing that that seed get in a good, good seed bed. A church is a good place for seed to be planted, isn't it? It's a good place for people to take root and grow downward and get established and get substantiated in the faith and then produce fruit. And the fruit is love, joy, Peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, long-suffering, faith, and temperance. All of those nine graces are not extracurricular. They're not optional. They're mandatory in all of our lives. For every one of us, God expects that fruit to be on our branch. And we must constantly evaluate and, and make sure that we've got fruit that glorifies God in our life that we've got the things in our life that provide us to be a witness for the Lord because fruit is telling. 
fruit tells you, number one, what kind of tree it is. Because the fruit identifies the root and the whole system. The whole plant, its whole existence is identified by one thing. That's because what grows on apple trees? Why do you call it an apple tree? Because it's where you go to find apples. What about a pecan tree? Why do you call it a pecan tree? Because it has pecans. Why do you call a walnut tree a walnut tree? Because it has walnuts. Why do you call a pear tree a pear tree? Because a partridge sings in it? No, but because it's a pear. You expect to find a pear there. And what Jesus was so upset about was when he came one day and needed refreshment from a fig tree and it had no fruit. Great leaves, good appearance, no fruit. And the Bible said Jesus cursed that tree. Oh, boy. And the Bible said on the next day when they came by that place, it was dried up dried up. And the disciples said, why did you do that? He said, because it had no fruit. It missed its whole purpose for living. It missed its whole plan. It missed the whole reason for its existence. You see, if the church loses its reason for existence, if the church loses its purpose, if the church loses its very identity as who it is, well, for when people come to church, they expect to find Christians. Hello? When Jesus comes to church, he expects to find fruit. Fruit. Why is fruit so important? Because it identifies who we are. You see, we don't look like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't act like the world. Is that important? Does that make that big of a difference? Yeah. If the world doesn't know that you're not like them, if the world doesn't know that you have an identity that is separate and apart from them, the Bible said, but now our citizenship is in heaven from which we look for the Lord of glory. And, and, and you might say, Barbara, we're aliens. We're citizens of another country, another world. We're in another kingdom. We're in the kingdom of God. We're in the kingdom of light. We're in the, uh, the kingdom of right. And God expects us to walk, therefore, as children of light. He expects us, therefore, to have fruit that the world cannot pr produce. You want to find hostility and murder and the chaos and that kind of thing? It's out there in the world. Drunkenness, lawlessness, rioting. That's what you find out in the world. And the Bible said, and the world loves its own. And Jesus said to the Christian church, don't be surprised if the world hates you. But he said, but it's not you that they hate. They hate you because of me. They hated me before they hated you, he said. So he's saying, don't take it personal because it's not really about you. It's about me. It's about Jesus. But I want to tell you this, the church that lifts up Jesus in this world will find people drawn to the person of the Lord Jesus. Because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto me.
And that's the business of the Lord's house. And that is to lift up and magnify the Lord Jesus in such a way that people feel that magnetism and are drawn to the person of Jesus and who he is. If we expect righteousness in a saved person, we must be concerned about the roots. If we expect to produce Christians, Brother Don, then we've got to be concerned about the roots. If we want people to get saved and live right, then we've got to be concerned about the roots. If we want people to grow up to make good church members once they get saved, we've got to be concerned about the roots. If we want people to sing spiritual songs and make melody in their heart, if we want people to teach classes and lead prayer groups, if we want people to do ministry, then you've got to be concerned about the root system. Because if you don't have the proper root system, you won't have the fruit that you expect. That's why I told a family, you've got to be a place where God's Word is read and where God's Word is quoted and where God's Word is respected and revered. You got to have a, a, a place. If you want a child to grow up to be a, a good person and a good Christian and a good representative of, of God and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, then you've got to provide the root system. How do you expect a kid to pray all of a sudden who doesn't hear prayers? How do you expect a, a person to grow up to pray and call upon the Lord when he's not heard that? in his upbringing, and it's foreign to his... Yeah, you're, you're getting what I'm saying, aren't you? That's why it's so important for you to go and pray with that kid before he goes to bed at night. That's why it's so important for you when you go to meals and go to the table to stop and thank God for the food. That's why it's so important because people need to be taught. You've got to provide a seed bed for that root to take a root in and to become, become strong. Proverbs 12 and 12 says, The root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. The root of the righteous yieldeth fruit. If you want to have righteous kids, you've got to be a righteous person. If you want worshiping kids, you've got to be a worshiper. If you want your kids to grow up and go to church, you've got to go to church. If you want your kids to live right, then my God, you've got to live right. There's such an important responsibility that you have in child rearing, not just to provide clothes and school and lunch money and all of that stuff. There's a bigger responsibility than that. And that's the responsibility to bred into that child a godliness, a righteousness, a grace, a faith, a prayer life, a godly disposition. You see, you can't sell goods when you've done some bad advertising. One of the greatest statements of the Apostle Paul is, is this, follow me as I follow Christ. There used to be a sign that churches used to, we used to be real tough on folks that didn't live right. There used to be a sign in churches. You'd see it. I was an evangelist, so I went everywhere and preached. 
and there was a sign, Roger, they'd put on the wall so, so everybody bump into it at some time or another. If every church member of this church was just like me, what kind of church would this church be? You see, you can't expect people to be good church members if you're not a good church member yourself. You can't expect people to be complimentary and positive about things when you're so negative all the time you're around them. If you want people to be like you, then you've got to be a good representative of the Lord Jesus so that they'll get a good, good image of what Jesus is and what he teaches. Amen. One of the greatest, most confusing thing in the world it's for parents to be one thing at church and another thing at home. Wow, I'm preaching this morning. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You've got to be consistent with what you say you believe. And you've got to live that out. I said you've got to live that out. You've got to walk that walk. If we expect to see maturity and growth in a saved person, we must be concerned about the root. Jeremiah 12, 2. Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Did Jeremiah have the proper progression of that? Yes, he did. They, they grow after they get rooted, get established, then they grow, and then they have fruit. If we expect a saved person to find himself in the work of the church, we must be concerned about the health of their root system. Hosea 9 and 1, or 16, Ephraim is smitten, their root is dried up, and they shall bear no fruit. What a tragedy, their root dried up. Debbie has got this plant that was given to her when Brian was born. See if I can get it right. Philodendrian. Did I get that even close? Brother, she makes me drag that thing in in the wintertime. It's in a big old pot this big around now. It's heavy. Now I have to go and get the trolley, they call it. And lift that thing up and bring it out and bring it in. And no matter where she is, and she calls me, the last thing she says to me is, did you water my philodendron? I believe she cares more about that philodendron than this does he. She's got it named. Talks to it. She's so concerned about its root system. We go, would you pick me up some miracle Grow? I need to put something in, in my philodendron. Lord, she takes so care of the roots on that thing. When a leaf dies, it's almost like she has a funeral for it. I wish this church cared about the plants and the root system as much as Debbie cares about that philodendron. My Lord, if you could care that much about a plant, how much more could we care about people? And make sure they get a good root system. Make sure they hear the Word of God. Make sure they, they pray spiritual prayers and fervent prayers. Make sure that they hear testimonies of people that have trusted God, that have believed God, that trust 
in the will of God, in the plan of God, the purpose of God, the promise of God. If we expect a man's life to be an influence and a witness to the world, we've got to be concerned about the root system. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Titus 3 and 8, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, 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 that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works because these things are good and profitable unto men. If we expect peace in the church, We've got to be concerned about the roots. James 3 and 18. And the fruit of righteousness. Somebody say fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. In other words, people that are peacemakers sow seeds of peace. And blessed are the peacemakers for they shall inherit the earth. Woo. Blessed are peacemakers. Blessed are merciful people, for they shall find mercy. Blessed are loving people, for they shall be loved. Blessed are friendly people, for they shall have friends. You didn't know that was in the Bible, huh? The Bible said if a man would have friends, he must find himself friendly. Wow, in other words, what are you saying? I'm saying people that are of peace, people that are of faith, people of prayer, they sow those seeds. People that are peace-loving people and peacemaking people, they, they scatter those seeds around. If you get around them, you'll see some seed laying around. They, they planted. What do they expect? They expect another peacemaker because the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. The fruit of an oak tree is another oak tree. Wow, fruit of a believer is another believer. Because peace people, people that make for peace, they have peace on their, on their tree. If we expect to have peace, we've got to have peacemaker. If we expect holy living in the life of a saved person, Romans 6 and 22 says this. Now, you know 623, don't you? You know 623, it's wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Listen to 22 before you get to that one. But now being made free from sin, anybody been made free from sin? Being made free from sin and become servants to God. Any servants to God? Anybody servant of God? You have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Being saved means I have everlasting life. Being saved means I have eternity in the presence of God. Being saved means I've come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and His saving grace. And He said, in order to do that, there must be some fruit of holiness in your life. You have your fruit. You've been made free from sin. You become a servant of God. You have your fruit unto holiness and in the end, everlasting life. Here's a good one, Ephesians 4, 24. And that you put on a new man. Are you the new man? Aren't you glad you're not the old man? You're a new man. You're the one the Lord is working on. 
to conform into his image and his likeness. You're the one the Lord created when you said, save me and make me a new creature in Christ Jesus. The new man, you've now put on the new man. If you're a new man, why do you still wear old men's clothes? If you're a new man, why don't you put on some new clothes? If you're a new man, why don't you put on a new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness? 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, here's a, here's a clincher. Listen to this one. Follow peace with all men. That means everybody. Follow peace with everybody. Follow peace with everyone you meet. Follow peace with everyone that moves in next door. Follow peace with the one you said, I will till I die. Follow peace with everybody. And holiness without which no man shall see God. What is holiness? It's personal purity. The Bible said those early church members had personal purity. They made the principles of their faith the practice of their living. That's what holiness is. Holiness is not a list of legalistic do's and don'ts. Holiness is a condition of heart. I said, holiness is a condition of heart. The opposite of holiness would be what? Worldliness. So then worldliness must also be a condition of heart. And when we're torn between holiness and worldliness, that's called temptation. Amen. When we put the doctrine of Christ in our heart, David said, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin. In other words, if I'm going to be holy, if I'm going to be pure, if I'm going to be righteous and right standing with God, then I've got to throw off all those beggarly elements of the world, and I've got to leave that identity behind and I've got to put on this new man which is created in righteousness and true holiness and I've got to walk in the light of his grace day by day do I ever miss the mark yes but if any man does miss the mark if any man does falter in faith. If any man does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fruit bearing is all about the root. If a Christian is not a fruit-bearing Christian, it's because he's got root problems. 
take root and bear fruit. I got to get away from that. I've preached too long on that. Let me get on over here to Hezekiah and finish him up. I'd like to tell you he finished well. <laughs> I'd like to tell you that the greatest king Israel ever had had a good ending. But let me just paraphrase and save you some time. The Bible said after this, God blessed Hezekiah. God blessed him so much that people started coming from all the world to visit him, much like the Queen of Sheba came. In fact, it wasn't many days after this until his treasure house and his storage houses and his barns and all everything he had just got so full of treasure and, and money and gold and silver and people brought things, gifts to him from all over the world. And he became very wealthy, very prosperous. And the Bible said he got sick. Buddy, he got sick. And when he got sick, the Bible said he was sick unto death. It was about time for him to die. And his pastor, Isaiah, that had given him so many good words from the Lord, came to tell him, the Lord sent me to tell you, you're going to surely die. Set your house in order. You're going to surely die and not live. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall. You know the story. And he said, Lord, remember how I've lived. Remember how I've done that which is right in your sight. Remember how I've walked in your precepts. Remember how I've kept your commandments. Remember how I opened up the temple. Remember, And God tapped Isaiah on the shoulder before he ever got outside the palace court and said, go back in there. Isaiah did an about face, went back in, said, Thus saith the Lord. Said, He's seen your tears, He's heard your cry and heard your prayer, and He's going to add 15 years onto your life. Wow, praise God. Now, wouldn't every one of us like to know? I preached one time about a man who knew how long he would live. And it's Hezekiah. 15 more years. Boy, wouldn't you like to know you had 15 more years? LaDon shaking his head, no, he don't want to know. He don't want to know. Boy, what good things you could do during those 15 years if you knew you were going to live those years. What good things could be accomplished if you knew that you were going to. But none of us has that. None of us in this room has the promise of another minute, let alone 15 years. Amen. And the Bible said, Hezekiah couldn't believe it. Has ever God been so good to you you couldn't believe it? I said, has God ever been so good to you, ever overflowed your cup? Has God ever overfilled your basket and been so good to you you just couldn't comprehend how God could be that good to you? He said, said I need a sign about this. I need, I need you to show me some way that I can know I've got 15 more years and God's really telling you this. And the Bible said he could see out to his steps. And there was an article there by which they told time. And there was this stair that went up. And it would go up until noonday. And then it would go down. And there was a, a tower that the way the sun was positioned, it would tell him what time it was. It's called the Dial of Ahaz. Did my homework, huh? Uh, the Dial of Ahaz. That's why they told time. And he said, which way do you want God to do that clock you got out there? He said, you want him to run it forward a little bit? He said, no, that would be too easy. 
said, tell God I'd like for him to back it up a little bit. So where the sun had marched up the sundial, God caused it to go down the sundial. Wow. So he accepted, well, praise God. Hallelujah, I'll accept that then. Now, that word started getting around. And I don't know if you know about the Babylonians or not, but there's this little group over here that they've thrown off the yoke of the Assyrians, and now they're a, they're a rising group. And if you ever watch A&E or you ever watch Travel Channel or any of that stuff, and they're telling you about Babylon and the hanging gardens of Babylon, all the great things, the wall that surrounded it, the inner wall and the outer wall, it's something to watch. It's really good. It's a city of about 200 miles square. Can you believe that? That's pretty good for ancient times. And they heard about it while they were still just a small, and they heard about Hezekiah. Now, one thing about the Babylonians, they're known for astrology. And they heard about this great miracle about the sun backing up and about the dial of Ahaz and God moving up and down on that one and controlling the days. And that astonished them so because they were stargazers. And they wanted to go and talk to Hezekiah and get the word firsthand from Hezekiah about it and find out how that happened and how that came about. And also, how in the world did you defeat those Assyrians? I hear that in one day, Hezekiah, you guys slew 185,000 of those Assyrians. I heard y'all just wiped up the ground with them and killed them and sent Sennacherib running back home and they killed him when he got home. So they sent an entourage over to interview Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the Bible said, took all of them through all of his treasures, showed them all of his great things, and showed them all of his chariots and his horsemen, and showed them all the, the storehouses of gold and silver and all of his treasures. And the Bible says in that 25th verse, I believe it is there of Second Chronicles 20, he says, and the heart of Hezekiah was lifted up. So Isaiah, his pastor, came to him, Carlos, and he said, who are those guys over at your house, at the palace? Oh, those, those are some Babylonians. What are they doing here? He said, oh, they came to see me. They heard about how I beat Sennacherib. They heard how I wiped the ground up with him and killed 185,000 of his guys. I took them over to my personal house. And I said, and what did you show them? He said, I showed them my treasure. And I showed them my gold. And I showed them my silver. And I showed them all of my, my wealth and my prosperity. I wanted to, them to see what I have done and built here in Jerusalem. And Isaiah said, thus saith the Lord. All that you showed them, all the gold, all the silver, all of the wealth that you showed to them will be taken away. And the Babylonians that came to see will carry your sons away and make servants of your sons. And Hezekiah said, Thou hast spoken well. And the next verse said, and Hezekiah died. 
You see, failure to give God the credit. Failure to give God the glory. Failure to give God the praise. Failure to give God the applause and give the, the blessing to God. I want to tell you, that's a terrible sin. When Nebuchadnezzar stalked upon the palace of, of Chaldea, of, of Babylon, this very event I'm telling you about. And he started walking across there and he said, Is this not great Babylon which I have built for my own glory and for my own honor? And God said, I'm going to put you on your all fours. And you're going to crawl like a beast in the field. And the dew of heaven will wet you. And your hair will grow out like eagle feathers. And your fingernails shall grow out like bird claws. For seven years. And for seven years... He went through that predicament. And after seven years, the Bible said, he walked back into the palace and he said, the Lord, he is God. Isn't it terrible that you have to wander like a beast in the field to come to the realization that the Lord, he is God? Why can't we just give him the praise now? Why can't we ride up in that car and say, I see you got you a new car. Say, yeah, the Lord gave that to me. Well, I see you bought you a house. Yeah, the Lord helped me work that out. Come on, somebody. The fruit of righteousness is that we glorify God. The fruit in our lives glorifies God because it's not possible to glorify Him without the fruit in our life. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of peace, the fruit of holiness, all of that it's to glorify God. It's to glorify God. Stand with me, please, all over this house. Thank you, God. Don't be like Hezekiah and become proud and lifted up because what the Lord's blessed you with. Don't become arrogant and self-centered and haughty and feel like it's all yours. What is that little line in that song? Jesus, only let me use them to brighten my life. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Fold back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. You see, we need to be reminded sometimes it is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are the sheep of His pastor. We are the people of His hand. And therefore, my life is hid with God in Christ. And I am not my own. I am bought with a price. I am bought with a price. What was the price, Pastor? The blood of Jesus. He bought me. He redeemed me by his own blood. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. Could we do our 30-minute thing of praise or 30, 30 seconds? I don't think you'd stay 30 minutes. Did you do 30 seconds of saying, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Thank you, God, for the way you've touched my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my retirement. Thank you for my home. Thank you for my family. 
Thank you for the car I drive. Thank you for the clothes I wear. Thank you for the food I eat. Thank you for everything in my life that you provided. Praise God. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Praise his holy name. Thank you, God, for all your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for the strength to stand here and proclaim your word. I ask you to grant peace and blessing to this congregation as we go out these doors to be salt and life in the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and God go with you is our prayer.